Hey there, friends of Holy Shenanigans Podcast. I'm thrilled to share that I'll be recording live from the Wild Goose Festival this July 11 through 14. Wild Goose Festival is a transformational community grounded in faith-inspired social justice. It's a one-of-a-kind gathering that brings together activists, artists, and seekers from all walks of life to explore justice and art, spirituality, and community. The festival will take place at Van Hoy Farms in Union Grove, North Carolina, and I'd love for you to join me there. From engaging workshops to inspired panels and interactive experiences, Wild Goose has something for everyone. So mark your calendars and let's be part of this incredible community that is committed to making a positive impact in the world. For more information, visit www. WildGooseFestival.org. As one of my followers, use a discount code A-TLE24. That's A-TLE24. And you'll get $50 off the price of an adult weekend ticket. We will see you there at the Wild Goose Festival to connect, to build community, and to work for social justice. Holy Shenanigans. I'm your muse, Tara Lamont Eastman, a creative, a feminist, and a pastor. In this week's episode, we hear a Jesus story that challenges our idea of Jesus. We learn about the power of the semicolon to insist there is more to a person's story, and learn about the movement called Soul Shop that demands direct action by communities of faith to prevent suicide and to inject hope where people experience desperation. In regards to the content, it is a conversation about suicide. And before we go any further, I want to provide two resources. The National Prevention Line is 800-273-8255. The National Text Line is 741-741. In this week's Jesus Story, we land in the book of Mark, chapter 7, verses 24 through 37. In this account, there are at least two healing stories, but I argue that there's probably a lot more, and they follow an awkward and difficult conversation. In episode one of this podcast, we heard another gospel's take on this particular Jesus story, where Jesus learns something new. In that account, and as well in this Mark's gospel, Jesus behaves in a way that isn't so Jesus-like. In this account, Jesus has a strained conversation with a Gentile woman that is quite awkward. The woman makes a request for Jesus to heal her sick daughter, and his response is this, Let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. The woman is not deterred by this harsh comment, and she uses her sly reasoning to call attention to the need of her child and her refusal to accept the not-now-not-yet response of Jesus. She says, Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he says to her, For saying that, you may go. The demon, or illness, 
has left your daughter. And she goes home, finds the child lying in bed, and the illness, gone. This Jesus story quickly moves on from this awkward conversation between Jesus and the Gentile woman to Jesus moving on to another Gentile community and healing a Gentile man who was deaf and mute. Remember my statement that the gospel story has at least a few healings in it. The child is healed. The man who cannot speak or hear is healed. And I'd be so bold to say that Jesus receives some healing here too. Because Jesus' limited perspective on who he is called to serve is opened up and expanded. I find it interesting that after his meeting with the Gentile woman, he immediately goes on to heal more people that happen to be Gentile. There is a particular word that Jesus speaks to the Gentile man who is in need of healing, and that word is epitha, and it means be opened. Because of the Gentile woman's wit and tenacity in speaking with Jesus, her statement of, Jesus, I don't want a place at your table. I just want my child to be well. This is what is needed now. And her child is healed. The man is healed. And Jesus' perspective on what and who he is called to serve and called to do in his work is epitha. Jesus' ministry is opened. So I stick with my perspective that more than two healings take place in this story, in thanks to the bold witness of that mom who had had it with the despair of her situation. She pushed the boundary. She spoke up and things got uncomfortable. The discomfort of her speaking up led to the healing of many, many people. This action of boldness removed the end of the story, not only for her child, but for herself the man down the road, and all the Gentiles waiting, waiting for the continuation of the story, and for Jesus' perspective and calling to be epithad, to be opened up. An aside here in metaphor to help express this continuation of story, because when you think about grammar and punctuation, the woman boldly speaks truth to power, and she erases a period of Jesus' words. And she puts in a semicolon, space for pause, and then the continuation of a story to be opened up and to serve all people. At the top of this episode, I stated that the focus of today's story and the content was on suicide prevention. And in an effort to connect the dots from today's Jesus story on healing, I was quite intentional in using the example of the punctuation mark of the semicolon to represent the opening up and continuation of this Jesus story. Have you ever seen someone who has a semicolon tattoo on their body? It comes from an organization called the Semicolon Project. This nonprofit organization envisions a world where all people affected by mental illness live healthy, fulfilled lives supported and inspired by a community that cares. The Semicolon Project was initiated by Amy Bluell in 2013, who used this symbol of the semicolon in the form of tattoos to raise awareness and support for mental illness and to prevent deaths by suicide. The choice of the semicolon to represent the nonprofit organization wasn't an accident. In writing, a semicolon represents when the author could have chosen an end to their sentence, but instead they pause 
and keep on going. Bluell was a survivor of rape, abuse, bullying, and suicidal thoughts, and was driven to support others who felt the same way. She wanted to give hope to others who had none. Sadly, Bluell died by suicide in 2018. And although her mission still lives on with countless others across the country who've picked up the torch on her behalf with the continuation of her work and semicolon tattoos. For more information on this nonprofit organization, go to projectsemicolon.com. For statistics about suicide, go to the National Institute of Mental Health and or to afsp.org. About three years ago, I was invited to attend a training sponsored by my local Association for Suicide Prevention called Soul Shop. This training equips faith communities to minister to those impacted by suicidal desperation. This includes those currently considering suicide, those who are anxious that a family member or friend might be considering suicide, those who have lost a loved one to suicide, and those who have experienced suicidal thinking in the past but are no longer. One of the things I learned at this training is that 50% of the people in the average faith community have personal connection to one of those four positions in regard to suicide. As a person of faith and in faith leadership, I can confirm that this statistic is accurate. The need for conversations and care for people in need of hope and support, especially in regards to suicide prevention, is a calling that faith and spiritual communities must open up and address. As a result of the Soul Shop training I attended, I have been empowered and taught some basic skills that have helped me to be bolder in my conversations and my actions concerning suicide and suicide prevention. So you ask, how do we open up this conversation? How do we expand this work of the Soul Shop movement? Just a few weeks ago, Michelle Snyder, a suicide prevention educator, came to my church in central New York and trained 14 people in the bold work of suicide prevention and education. While I could tell you much more about why this work is important to me, I want to give Michelle the microphone to share a story of hope and challenge, to open up our hearts and our voices, to ask hard questions that lead to the healing of the masses. Dr. David Litz, a suicide prevention advocate and educator who has been championing this work for the last 30 years, once said that people die by suicide for all kinds of reasons, but it basically comes down to two, a loss of hope and a loss of social connection. My name is Michelle Snyder, and I lead the suicide prevention organization called Soul Shop, which Pastor Tara just described. One of the questions I'm most frequently asked when people hear what I do for a living is, isn't that sad? How do you keep from despairing yourself? I often find myself pretty perplexed by the question because it's so contrary to my experience in suicide prevention. I know that suicide is tragic and that many faithful warriors, much like Amy Bluhl, lost the battle with this dreadful public health issue. I know that way too many people's lives have been gutted, never to be the same by the loss of someone to the tragedy of suicide and other deaths of despair. 
But as I go around the country meeting people who are interested in and committed to the work of suicide prevention and or those who have been personally impacted by it in some way, what I am most frequently exposed to is stories of hope. There are many different faces of hope. One kind of hope is the trust that things will get better. My dearest friend in the whole world struggled with a variety of issues that plague those in adolescence. Issues related to self-esteem, family dynamics, and identity. After surviving a suicide attempt, he looked around his life and realized that life as he was living it was no longer working. He made a series of radical changes related to his education and physical geography in the world. He got some good therapy, made peace with God and with himself, and found resolution to that which plagued him. That suicide attempt was over 30 years ago, and today he loves his life, and suicidality is a thing of the distant past for him. That kind of story of hope is the kind that everyone wishes for, but it is most certainly not the only kind of hope we have. Other kinds of hope I run into in my daily work are stories of those who have have enough strength just to go on. Many people who struggle with suicidality do so chronically over years and sometimes even lifetimes. Some of the most courageous people I have ever met are those who choose to fight for another day. I'm often reminded when exposed to these people with lived experience, which is what we call it in the suicide prevention world, that the biblical narrative invites us to trust for just enough manna for today. The grace that sustains us is not generally given to us in bulk. It is given to us one day at a time. It's the phone call from someone checking in on us just when we need it. The bag of groceries delivered to our door on Thanksgiving morning when the WIC checks have run out. It's white-knuckling it through the desire to return to an addiction and then choosing to live one day at a time. This kind of hope is the gritty kind, the kind with rough edges, the kind that can't see very far past the next step. But I hope that tomorrow will in fact take care of itself. And the determination of a person impacted by suicide to find the courage to believe in that is one of the most extraordinary things I experience in my work every day. There are still other kinds of hope that heal the world. That is the hope that our God is a God of resurrection. That this God of resurrection wants to redeem that which is broken. Suicide prevention efforts are often fueled by survivors of suicide, those people who have lost someone and whose lives are permanently changed because of that loss. My dear friend who I met through suicide prevention lost her 24-year-old son, Kyle, to suicide 11 years ago. I would suspect she would say that she didn't feel terribly hopeful in those first few years after his death. I would venture to say she might even say that some days still. But as someone who watches her as a beacon of hope and courage, this mother refused to allow her son's death to be in vain. She got involved as a volunteer and then a board member with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Her Miles for Kyle birthday dinner fundraiser have raised extraordinary amounts of money for research and suicide prevention programming, as well as raising awareness in her small rural farming community. All of this has been done as a way of honoring her son's life and memory. No one would ever wish the death of a child on their worst enemy. But the hope that our God is always making beauty from ashes eliminates some of death's sting. Finally, from my seat as director of the Soul Shop Movement, I am witness to what can happen when communities of faith learn to face their fears and start having honest conversations about suicide. One pastor in Arkansas, after attending a Soul Shop training, felt compelled to call a parishioner who showed a number of the warning signs for suicide to have an honest conversation with her. When she picked up the phone, he asked her, has it gotten so bad that you've thought about suicide? He tells the story that she slightly gasped and then said in a breathy voice, how did you know? This led to a much longer conversation 
the creation of a safety plan, and her follow-up with him a year later to modify the safety plan when the old one stopped working. One empty nester couple took in a man in their church who was suicidal because he was facing homelessness as a result of divorce. They allowed him to live with them for three years while he found his way back onto his feet. One faith community generously gave their pastor a three-month leave of absence to check into an inpatient psychiatric hospital to work through his issues with depression and anxiety. The stories of abound of congregations that took bold action to be hope with skin on for those impacted by soul-crushing despair in ways that very literally save lives. I started this presentation with a quote from Dr. David Litz, but it was only half of what he said. Dr. Litz said, and I quote, People die by suicide for all kinds of reasons, but it basically comes down to two, a loss of hope and a loss of social connection. And if the Church of Jesus Christ can't do something about those two things, then it should probably just close its doors, end quote. The hope that keeps me doing my work is the hope that if the church were to rise to the challenge, and when it does here and there, now and again, the kingdom of God comes and the world is healed. And if that's not hope, I don't know what is. Thank you, Michelle, for sharing that story of challenge and hope. In order for faith communities to catch a vision for the good and hard work of suicide prevention, we need a call to action that can't be denied. Closing of things is not what we are here for. We are to be people of hope, people of epitha, healing, opening, connection, and hope activated. Which returns me once more to the sacred words of Mary Oliver and her poem, The Summer Day. Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean. The one who has flung herself out of the grass. The one who is eating sugar out of my hand. Who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I have been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Thank you to Michelle from soulshopmovement.org for joining us this week to open up some holy shenanigans that surprise, encourage, redirect, and turn life upside down, all in the name of love. This unpredictable spiritual adventure that is always sacred, but never stuffy, often takes us to new places, allows us the blessing to meet new people, and in the case of this week's focus on suicide prevention, affirms that hope and connection must be the call we respond and open up to on behalf of every wild and precious life. Yes, church, we need to do something, anything we can to erase periods and put in some semicolons and to offer connection and hope. Then and only then can we accept a period at the end of a sentence, period. Period. 